Word of God from Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, <clears throat> which, one which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back shortly. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there said, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered just as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of God. Thank you so much, Art. Much appreciated. As I said last week, if anyone's interested in being a scripture reader here at New Song, please come and let me know. A few, last week, a few people came and suggested that, said that they would, Art being one of them, and I sprung this on him first thing this morning, just as a little experiment. No time to prepare, right? Thank you so much, Art. Appreciate it. But let me know if you're interested in doing this. You know, we really believe that this, this, what we do on Sunday mornings should more and more be a participatory community event. And we're going to try and find more ways to do that, that we can be involved in this, not just me or Melody uh, uh, doing these things while the rest of us sit and just, you know, consume these things. It's, it's, it's meant to be a body life thing. Um, by the way, my name is Grant, for those of you who don't know me, and I have had the joy and privilege of, of being a new pastor at New Song with you wonderful people for almost four years now. Wow. Um, and we, uh, we're gathering, gratefully gathering on Sundays. Uh, we're also, this, the message and communion are also online. So if you're listening to this uh, at home um, sometime after this morning, uh, maybe pause the audio right now and go and get yourself a little bit of grape juice and a little bit of bread, and you can join us in communion while you listen, because we're going to keep that as part of the, as the, of the audio. So welcome to Palm Sunday 2022, everyone. We decided to skip part of 2022 and just get straight to Easter. Well, it's not really, is it? That's actually going to be on uh, April 10th this year. Um, but what we heard read uh, by Art was typically the story that we hear on Palm Sunday. Uh, for those of us who've been in church for a long time, heard a lot of messages, then you probably have a lot of understanding about what that story means. Um, this is Mark's gospel, and uh, we just read that uh, if you've heard sermons preached, it's, you know, Jesus comes in Jerusalem on, on a donkey, and, and you've probably heard so many messages about that, and, and shouted Hosanna, and maybe even waved palm branches, uh, you, which you can do down here because you have palm branches up, up in Washington State where I came from. 
uh, on my way to church on Palm Sunday, we'd go through this uh, countryside, and my kids and I would gather ferns in buckets and bring the ferns to the church, because that's all we had. Um, but uh, I hope this morning, even though you may f- feel that you're familiar with the story, that you might actually uh, see some things with fresh eyes uh, and uh, fresh ears and fresh hearts to discover and encounter the love of God that is in Christ Jesus for you, for each one of us, how He loves us. Because that's why we're here in the Gospel of Mark. We're here because we want to see Jesus. We want to know Him. This is our conviction that the greatest vision for any time, but I think particularly these times, is to encounter not what we've heard about Jesus, but to encounter the living God in Christ, who is here for us. So we've, as we heard in previous weeks, Mark, this gospel that we're looking at, is probably the first gospel written. Within, within a, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of, of Jesus' crucifixion and, and resurrection, uh, perhaps even earlier, this gospel was written. Uh, Matthew and Luke based their gospels in part on this gospel, Mark. This is a very early uh, stories about Jesus um, and John, the Gospel of John, is very different to these three other Gospels. It's a very unique and written later and a very unique view on Jesus, which is a wonderful thing. We have these four Gospels which give us such a breadth of understanding from different perspectives about who Jesus is. But this story is in all four of them. All four of the Gospels contain this story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, we just celebrated Jesus' birth at Christmas. That story only occurs in two of the Gospels. This one occurs in all four. So obviously, there is something very important for us to hear about and understand, and not just for Palm Sunday, but for every day of our lives lived in relationship with God and with others. So how do we approach a text like this, maybe to try and understand something that's perhaps fresh, to set aside maybe what we have heard and, and, and come to, to the living God who is speaking to us. Well, asking questions is a good place to start. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done any Bible study stuff, but just making a whole list of questions about things that confuse you or interest you or you want to find an answer to might be a good start. So for this passage, there's a couple of things that I want to ask questions about. One is, why does Mark take so long to explain this whole getting of this colt, this donkey, whatever, this young horse, it's very detailed, and it takes up a large chunk of the story. I'd like to know what that's all about. Hopefully, I'm not alone, or this is going to be really boring for everybody. Um, secondly, I'd like to know why such a kind of anticlimax at the ending. And Mark is kind of unique in this, the way he ends his story, which we'll see in a minute. Uh, because I want to know, I want to know what this says about Jesus, and I also suspect it's going to say some things about me. And I want to hear that. So, handily enough, it is broken into three clear sections. It's kind of three movements in this passage. So that's how we're going to tackle this. We're going to look at each three in turn as we seek to engage with the heart of God for us. And the first thing is, I'm titling this, A Living Illustration. The first part is a living illustration. And I just want to, you guys to watch something right now. Let's see how this goes.
So, what did that communicate to you? What I did? Storytelling? What else? Okay, Mr. Rogers, right? And, you know, I, I didn't say anything, but I, I did certain actions that many of you understood. How did it make you feel? Comfortable? What's that? Calm? Oh, at home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy? Who had absolutely no idea what the crazy Scottish pastor was doing at that point? Anyone? No idea. Ha! Yeah. Senor Rogers, right? Didn't have Mr. Rogers in Spain, did you? Didn't have it in Britain either. It's pretty relatively new for me. So that was pretty spectacular, having not grown up with this at all. Um, and, what, and so what does it might tell you about my attitude towards you all? Just as you watch this illustration. Love, okay? Yeah. Right, welcoming. And it works well in church because, you know, Mr. Rogers was an ordained uh, pastor, actually. So, my point is to tell us that in the same way that this created, because of our cultural understanding, it brought meaning, so too in this passage, there are powerful cultural images in what Jesus does that create meaning for the people who saw it, uh, but that might be lost to people outside of that cultural reality. There's a long history in, the, in the, uh, the story of God and the Old Testament prophets of these kind of visual illustrations of something that was meaningful, important, done out in a very tactile, practical, in front of your face kind of way. Like the prophets of old would do these things all the time. God would command them, go and do this. For example, Elijah put his cloak over Elisha, this other prophet, to, to show that the power and the, the, the prophetic gift was passing on to this other younger man. Uh, Ezekiel actually ate a scroll, a piece of the kind of the Word of God, was commanded to eat it. He said it tasted sweet, so maybe it was some kind of, you know, rice paper, but he ate it in this visual illustration before then going and proclaiming kind of a powerful and kind of um, scary word to the people of God. Jesus did these same things throughout his ministry. Jesus at one point healed with spit and mud the eyes of a blind man. He didn't need to do that. He could have just healed, right? But he chose to do something. And, and there's been a lot of talk about what that means, but it's almost like, you know, the, the, the earth of the person and there's humility and there's just, there's touch and, and it's so earthy. And so now Jesus uses this powerful symbolism and this visual illustration to say something to those who would see, hear, and understand. So we've got these, these, uh, this early on section about the cult, etc. It's all very important to understand what this is about, and it's about what people will see. So there's a cult, and it would hopefully remind people of an old Testament passage, which they would probably know very, very well, because it was one of those passages, like if it had been an Old Testament hallmark calendars, it would probably have it on it, because it's a promise of something hopeful, and it says this in Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So just as you guys kind of responded about something you're familiar with, it, it brought meaning to you about what's happening and how you feel is connected with it. So too, firstly, this fact of Jesus coming in or this particular animal had meaning. The second thing it says, specifies it's never before been ridden. It's never been ridden. Jesus was also pretty good at horsemanship. This thing had never been ridden on. But actually, in the Old Testament, a horse that had never been ridden was reserved for a king. It had never been used before. It was fresh the first time. It was for the king. And the third thing is the place where he comes. There are probably several ways into Jerusalem, but he comes by the Mount of Olives. And the Old Testament had, had this kind of promise that the Mount of Olives would be the place where God would step into his creation, where he would return, where he would come and bring in power the redemption that the people were longing for. So such attention to detail. There's a lot of this in Mark. Later on, Jesus is going to do the same thing with his disciples. In Mark 14, he's going to get ready for the Passover. He says, he sent two disciples, say, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him, say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where's my guest room, where I meet the Passover with my disciples, he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. And the disciples left, went to the city, found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. You see the intentionality in this? All attention to detail. Jesus is purposely choosing these things and instructing his disciples to create this context that is supposed to bring meaning to the people who see it. Jesus fills, fulfills everything in keeping with who he is to the detail, to the finest detail. Why is this? Well, the first reason is because he is faithful. Faithfulness pays attention to detail. Details are important. And so he's coming to Jerusalem, and it's his love and his faithfulness that leads him intentionally, step by step, to these acts into the city. Actually, in Luke, one of the other stories of this uh, happening, this event in Luke chapter 9, Luke makes it really clear. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And in some of the old translations, it says he set his face towards Jerusalem. He was coming. And there's no mistake. There's no uh, random stuff about this. It's very exact and clear what he is doing and what he's trying to show the people. The second thing is it's consistent. It's about his consistency. All that is happening here is in, in character and sorry, it's with the character and the purposes of God. And it has been told and told and told all through the story of these people in the Old Testament. And he is being faithful to those promises that people might see that he is this unique one who was to come. Jesus doesn't miss any detail or task that is necessary for the full glory of God and the accomplishment of his purposes and his plan for our salvation. What, how can we apply that? Well, I think that's comforting. If Jesus cares that much for righteousness in all things, he demonstrated that in his life, this way of entering fully, intentionally, in detail to carry out the purpose of God, then the same Jesus, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is also that for us. He's also that for us. He misses no detail. He comes in time for us, and he doesn't miss a thing. And he comes in full 
reality of who He is to us. But here's the thing. He doesn't always come in the way that we want or the way that we expect, right? He comes in this strong visual illustration of a certain message, and He's the messenger. But really, that's not what the people wanted, right? We've heard that before. What did they want? What kind of person did they want? Kind of Messiah? They wanted a warrior, right? What did they want a warrior to do? Right? And anyone else who had irked them, right? A conquering warrior. Is that? A knight in shining armor. Yeah. Sir Lancelot. I was going to Monty Python there, but I'm, going to, I'm not going to do it. But here's the thing. We will always be surprised, I think, from our limited perspective. You know, God is perfect in the ways that He acts and enters in and comes and saves. But we are so limited often by how we see it because of what we want. And these people were, were no different. And so if they had gone into Zechariah chapter 9, where that first little bit was from, which Jesus was clearly kind of enacting for them to see that things were being fulfilled that were important to understand, they would read more and things that maybe would speak against their desire simply for a warrior king to wage war on the Romans and set them back up as number one. Zechariah 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly. And riding on a donkey. Then it says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. The people longed for a conquering warrior king. They were sent a shepherd to gather the flock and to bring renewal to the heart of the nation, to turn their hearts back towards God and back toward the purposes for which they were first made into a nation, which was to proclaim the goodness and the love of the God who saves. But we're going to see that they were very attached to their own perspective and what they wanted. But still, the next phase is pretty cool. If you're Jesus, if you're PR, if you're Jesus' PR person, you're going to be pretty stoked about what happens next, okay? Because next, there's a spontaneous celebration. Who here has, ever has a spontaneous celebration in your house? We have a disco ball on the roof of our living room. And occasionally, as the mood takes us, I'll put like... I don't know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, or Daft Punk on, switch the lights off and point the little light at their disco ball, and basically, like, you got no choice but to dance in our living room, okay? This is kind of like that. So Jesus enacts this powerful living illustration to these crowds of pilgrims. These people were coming for the Passover feast. It was hugely busy. These thoroughfares were packed with people. It was like the freeways in Los Angeles at that point, a rush hour. Travelers from all over coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And they were traveling along the road. When they see this echo from the past, perhaps, something that they would find meaningful 
Okay, so I have a question. When I was doing this thing, okay, this is warm, by the way, it's wool. When I was doing that thing, did you find yourself humming or even singing the words to Mr. Rogers? You did. Isn't that interesting? That merely seeing someone in doing, I know we played some music, but seeing someone doing something would bring to mind a song, okay? Uh, those of you who didn't know what the heck I was doing, probably not. You were thinking like, can I sneak out of here? Would it be obvious? Luckily, I'm wearing a mask and no one will know who I was. <laughs> I came and I went. Yeah, but, but those of you who did, you kind of had a sense, it just kind of came out of you, right? From your memory, the song, it started to rise up. You're like, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? And you felt happier. Um, it's the same situation then. This is amazing, this passage. It talks about just all of these responses that just kind of came from the people spontaneously. They're already kind of in a good mood because they're traveling to the Passover, which is an important time in their history, which they've said that God spared them from death and set them free from Egypt. And they celebrate this every single year. And then suddenly they see this man who they probably heard about because in the other gospel we see Lazarus has been raised from the dead just before this has happened. And word has got out. He's remarkable. He, this man was dead and he raised him. Here he is. He's on this colt and they start to throw branches down and their cloaks on the road and they started to cry out. Some of them probably didn't know what was happening. But you know how things have a, a way of kind of catching on, right? Um, last week we talked about Bartimaeus and he had this blind man. He shouted out, have mercy on me, son of David, when he didn't see, but he heard that Jesus was coming down the road. So what was solitary, that man now becomes widespread and people are calling out. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And they most likely sang this as they called out. There was probably singing as well. And they had actually psalms, which were psalms that you would sing as you came in procession into Jerusalem for these great feasts and celebrations. And these words are directly from one of the psalms that David wrote, where it says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join in the festal procession. Join in the festal procession. So they, they, were, they had this sense. They saw something of significance that Jesus was enacting in front of their faces. And they were drawn out from them, these expressions, these cries for mercy, for salvation, for blessing, of hopefulness. When I did this little thing over here, you guys had this sense of a song that rose up in you, connected with what you were seeing. So my question is, if we look at the world around us today, what cries rise from our hearts? What is drawn out of our memory our knowledge, our understanding. What do we see Jesus doing today? What are the signs? And I was thinking about this. You know, sometimes we don't see God, right? But I think, and I'm going to work on this some more because it's a seed thought in my mind, but I think it's something. You know, like if you want to make something, you make a mold, okay? So the thing itself, you cover it in whatever material and then the negative space, 
that is left is, 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 the, is the thing itself, but it's a space, right? And it's the rest of the material that causes it to see, see the space. And I was thinking, is society a bit like that? That we see the culture around us and all that is happening. And if God is the ultimate reality in this universe, then His presence may be detected by what we see in the hearts and the lives and the words and the expression of our culture and our communities. And I think we can maybe see where God is and what He is doing by the shape of our communities and the shape of our culture. And what is our response to that? I think we see a lot of things. I think we see a deep, deep longing for a God that people don't understand. And it's there. The only confidence that I have to share the gospel is because I know there's a need. There is a God-shaped hole in every heart. And I can see that. So we sing here, don't we? We sang here this morning. How are our worship songs connected to our lives? Are we singing from this sense that throughout the week, I have encountered God, I have seen the living illustration of the presence of God, either in experiences with God, in the Word, or in prayer, or in my encounters with other people, and then we come and we sing. From what place are we expressing, and what is it we're singing about? Is it real for us? Is it drawn from hearts that are longing for Him? And that should create a range of singing in our churches, right? We should sing lament sometimes when we see the brokenness and darkness. We can sing blessing. We can sing out of sorrow. We can sing songs of hope. There's a song written by a name called Matt Redman. He's English, but I won't hold it against him because he's a really good songwriter. But he wrote this song called Seeing You. And this really was a revelation to me as a worship leader back when I was doing that more often. And he he writes this, this is a time for seeing and singing. This is a time for breathing you in and breathing out your praise. Our hearts respond to your revelation. All you are showing, all we have seen commands a life of praise. No one can sing of things they have not seen. God, open our eyes towards a greater glimpse. The glory of you the glory of you, God, open our eyes towards a greater glimpse. Worship starts with seeing you. I was reminded of the passage that Jesus talked about, summing up all that we are responsible to press into when he was asked, what is the way forward to God, to salvation? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And I think this is what we're being called to do is as we see, we bring our whole selves into this in response to who God is. So this is really building up, okay? (laughs) We've got this illustration. It's all done very well. And then we have this spontaneous celebration, this Mardi Gras festival atmosphere and then Mark kind of blows it, right? Third thing is we have this anti-climax. It's like, wah, 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 if you read it. You know, I did a, preach, a couple of preaching classes, not sure if you can tell or not, when I was in school. And one of the professors said, when you do a sermon, you should start with an earthquake and end with a hurricane, okay? And I don't think Mark took that class because this story is not very good in the endings department. It's kind of like, it starts, it's like, woohoo, woohoo, a blimp. Because it says this, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem, okay, great, next step, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. It's kind of a bit of an anticlimactic little moan, isn't it? 
And I was still questioning again, why? So was there a curfew in effect? Well, I don't know. It's the Passover, potentially. I don't know. Was Jesus concerned about his own safety? I don't know if that's the case. Or is it perhaps that Mark is emphasizing just how quickly the interest and enthusiasm of the crowds on the road diminishes after the festival atmosphere on the road into Jerusalem? How quick the people are just to go, what are we eating tonight? <laughs> you know, we're done. We're, that was fun. That was great. It says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So I think partially that's something to think about because I know for me, even in that sense of, of worshiping, seeing and then worshiping in response and, and my heart is drawn out, it is, is not something that I can sustain all of the time, but it's something that I need to practice. And I just love how Mark just doesn't amp up like we would in Hollywood, it's always got to have a big ending at the end, right? Another reason I think he does this is because Jesus is telling us a lot about Jesus. He's evaluating the situation before acting. He's just evaluating. He comes into the temple. He says he looks around, sees, hears, feels. And Jesus is doing exactly what we've been talking about this morning. Jesus is listening, looking, seeking to perceive what he understands about God and the people by what he is encountering in this place of worship for God. And not just coming in and either bending to the crowd's expectations of him to set them free or any other thing. He simply comes in and looks around, seeking God's direction before he acts. God, what are you up to? I am your faithful servant. What is your plan for me? What is your purpose for me? And he takes his time in that. And I think that's a special and wonderful thing for us to think about. Because next week, we're going to begin this full tilt descent into the week where he is in the last stages of his life on earth, of abandonment by all who are close to him, of his arrest, of his crucifixion. But for now, he goes out to be with his closest friends as he prepares for this dark chapter of his life. And I want to be that person. I want to be the person with whom Jesus would go and ponder what he has seen, and he would share his heart with me, and I would listen, and I wouldn't be rash and quick to act. I'd be patient. I would follow him. I'd listen. I would set aside my expectations and say, oh, teach me, God. I want to sit with you. Show me what you're seeing and then cause me to respond how you're responding. I want to be in sync with you. And I think this is our time that we're in. It's a time for faithful obedience. I think it's wonderful that Mark ties Jesus' instructions in the first part. If you go back and look at that passage, Jesus says, do this, do this, do this. And the disciples do exactly what he says. So I think it's a time for faithful obedience with trust that he knows what he's calling us to do. And secondly, it's a time for prayer. And thirdly, and most of all, it's a time for patience and for listening. Lord, what are you up to? Invite me to join you. Invite us to do this together. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. 
and we are loved. Amen. We're going to go to communion now. If, if you do not have one of these little cups, please raise your hand. This is what we are doing every week as a means of responding to the Word of God and what we might have heard today. And what is so beautiful about this is, you know, I mentioned, like, I'd, be like to, I'd like to be one of the people that Jesus invited with him to go out of the city and spend an evening in prayer and reflection. And this is exactly what this is supposed to be. It's we come, we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he invites us into that intimate table setting where he will, he, he will share with us his heart. The things that maybe others won't hear or perceive, but we come with intentionality to share in this meal in a symbolic representation of what happened on that night. When the night before he is betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And this was the Passover feast that all these pilgrims were flocking to. And Jesus observed it, but then he brought it new significance and said, this now represents the hope that you have always had. Every time you broke bread, you remembered that great redemption from slavery in Egypt. This is now what I am doing. I will be offered as a sacrifice for sin, for all, for all time, for all eternity. So we take this bread and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus. And then he took the cup and he commanded them, all of them, Peter who would deny him, Judas who would betray him, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood, the new covenant for the forgiveness of sin. Father, thank you for life. I know Lord, a lot of what we're experiencing now is really difficult. Some of us are in a post-holiday slump. Lord, teach us to reflect on the emotions that we feel because we are complicated creatures. We have minds. We have hearts. We're creatures of flesh, and we feel and we hurt. Oh, but Lord, what is so wonderful is that you have taken hold of us and you have drawn us into life. And it can never be taken from us, Lord. You have done it. You said it is finished. Oh, Lord, build us as your people. Help us to be honest about who we are and where we're at, knowing that your grace is sufficient and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And let us live lives of boldness and courage and lives of peace. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.